listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about a wide array of topics ranging from customer journeys to customer experience and the impacts these focuses can have on all aspects of the business. To help us, we have with us Allison Metcalf, CRO at Demandbase, a leader in account-based marketing. Allison, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. Happy to be here. So we always ask a random question. It's, I guess it's not so random if anybody listens to it. I've been on this kick where I'm asking about things that you might be passionate about as a way for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So if you think about kind of your work persona, and I know the pandemic and has broken down some of these doors, but is there something, what is there something you're passionate about that our listeners might be surprised to learn about if they had just done a kind of business research on you? What's something you're overly passionate about that drives you outside of your business life? Outside of my business life, I have a really big passion against the natural food industry. That might sound strange. Whoa. And I, I have kind of a bee in my bonnet about it because I find the fact that it's not regulated by the FDA means it can kind of make any promises it wants to make. And I see a lot of women and especially mothers who are dealing with like challenging issues, you know, struggle to understand how to interpret those types of claims. And I waste a bunch of money on false promises. So I get really passionate about that. And then professionally, I've gotten really deep into the concept of the growth mindset. And I applied it in both my professional life and my personal life. So I'm giving you a two for one answer. Nice. I would love to do an entire podcast on digging into the the food thing because we all get inundated with that, but that is not what we are. (laughs) And it is the most unique one I've heard in the last few months. So thank you very much for, uh, for sharing that. And so we want to talk about customer experience and, and this is, it's turned into, I don't know. I've been listening to it for 10 years, I guess. It's kind of turned into a buzzword, right? It means a lot of great things. I see some companies struggle with it. But I'm curious, when you go to stand up a team that's focused on customer experience, what's your perspective on on how to do that and missteps to avoid? So I actually think you really should not do that. I think, and I, and again, I'm, I'm going to kind of give you some perspective on why I think that and how I got to that point, because I, I used to have a very opposite opinion, frankly. But I really, I think that the high level is, I think that thinking of customer experience as a department or even what executives focus or setting up a team that's that focused on customer experience alone is, can create a crutch, an excuse for other parts of the business to not be customer centric. And I've seen this in play. In fact, I would be self-aware enough to, to know and admit that when I was younger in my career and focused exclusively on customer success, my earlier executive roles were VP of customer success, as defined by renewals and, and upsells, I wanted it to be, you know, so-called mine. I, I wanted <laughs> it to be, right? And I really think that, you know, perhaps when the VP of CS role first really started to emerge, that was the intention and with very good intentions, right? Like my my story, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my observation, my experiences, going back to 2008, this was, I think in 2008, in my, in my recollection was pre-calling this job, that, that job, the post-sale job, customer success. It was still account management at the time. 
and the economy starts to fall apart and all these SaaS businesses that kind of had assumed a certain retention started to double click a little bit more into their numbers and realize it wasn't quite there. And, and the, this kind of rush to protect the base, so to speak, really started to emerge in my, again, in my recollection around that time, because there were, you know, net new logo was slowing down and it was very expensive to lose customers. And so the role of customer success started to evolve and become more important. And then it started to be this idea that this was the, the voice of the customer. This was the executive that was advocating for customers within the department. But I think the unintended negative consequence of that was everybody else kind of went, great. I don't have to do it anymore, right? That's, that is not my job. And so, you know, I have addressed the entire demand-based company as recently as Friday, stressing that customer experience is everyone's job. Literally every department needs to feel accountable for this. So how we market, how we engage on the SDR level, how we sell, you know, how we deal with customers when their bill is late or when they need help or when they're not getting something or when they're being challenging, like every single touch point forms their view of us. And so it has to be everyone's job and everyone should be talking about it. All right. And I'm 100% in agreement with you. Glad to know that it's not just, you know, we've all seen those companies that have, Hey, we, we have a, we have a customer success team. We, we worry about customer experience and then nobody else in the organization gives a crap. And I love the example of even when a customer's bill is late, cause that goes, I mean, that goes far beyond what most people will think about in terms of how that creates an impact on the customer. But then there's also this other challenge, right? So if it's everybody's job and the North star is, is customer experience, aligning all of those teams, there's going to be challenges getting everybody to understand, have a consistent understanding of what we mean when we say customer experience or how that impacts those various roles. I'm curious, as you've worked to do this at Demandbase, what are like the top three challenges you've seen that we want to make sure anybody listening avoids as, as they focus on getting the entire organization uh, pointed at that North Star customer experience? Yeah, totally. I love I love the question, but I, I just want to reflect on your, com- like your comment on my comment about the bill. I worked at a company where I know I found out after a while that things literally was the second the deal was closed one in Salesforce, the first experience the client had after closed one was an invoice. Oh. And I was just, you know, and it was just like, what a way to welcome the client, you know, it's <laughs> terrible. But so like, I mean, billing and finance, maybe not an organization you typically think of as needing to be customer centric, but really important. But you asked about, you know, the challenges are around trying to, you know, make customer experience be everyone's job. And I think it's, Really three things are what I think about. And one is, or two are one side of each coin. So either it's either it's not my jobism or redundant, it's my jobism, right? So you know, everyone thinks this part of the journey. And then the other one is really, if you, if you have very ambiguous, non-measurable goals, that creates a big problem. And so when, when you think about, okay, the not my jobism, which honestly, that's, that's a soapbox issue for me because that just, it irritates crap out of me when I run into that. <laughs> but but when, when they're like, oh, it's not my job. Well, how do you help them realize that no, every cog in the company impacts some aspect of customer experience and or how the brand is perceived, whether that be, like you mentioned earlier, marketing or how an SDR reaches out. How do you, how do you overcome that? That's eh, not my job. Somebody else is, is worried about it. Do you build it into the culture do you build it into the comp like what 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 have you found to be most effective yeah so there's a couple things i mean i can tell you what i'm doing here so i so i've been at demand base now gosh i got here like mid-september and i don't even know what month it is or year <laughs> but i think that's like five months or four months 
so one of the first things we did, and it was actually like a really, I, I'm very lucky in terms of the, re- the timing of when I joined Demand Base. It's a really solid team and they had done a lot of this work I'm about to talk about in the past, but we had re- recently acquired another company, Engageo, and in November we launched the kind of new combined product, which is a very different product than what we've been doing in the past. So it was a great opportunity to say, okay, and by the way, the other thing that had happened was like maybe six or eight months ago before I got here, the decision had been made to start to bring sales back into customers, right? So previously there was a very clear church and state line between sales and customer success. Sales was net new logo, customer success was everything else. And they started to kind of, you know, bring those roles back in as is very natural and normal for companies as they grow to evolve those roles. But what they perhaps didn't do like explicitly enough is really just say, what does this mean in terms of start-stop behaviors for you folks on this side of the fence? And what does this mean in terms of start-stop behaviors for you folks on this side of the fence? So we got to work really doing pen to paper, mapping out this new customer journey and in the customer journey, you know, I'm really very passionate about concepts of stage gates and graduation milestones, right? So the customer journey, it's like, if you have time to live, time to value, you know, time to expand or grow and then ultimate lifetime value, which you can come in and out of, you need to know what objective, you know, milestones need to happen before a customer can graduate from one stage to the other. And then you need to get really prescriptive of what can go wrong and what needs to go right for the customer to be able to hit those milestones. So it's like P1, draft that out. Then you go P2, you know, creating a very fluid racy model. So if you're not familiar with racy, it's, you know, it's just the concept of responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And one of the painful things about racy, especially when you're talking about something like this, is you can only have one person that's accountable. You can have multiple people that are responsible and consulted and informed, but ultimately only one person can be accountable. And so when we sat down and we said, hey, let's talk about every element of the journey from SDR to selling, to marketing, to customer success, to sales engineer, to support everyone. And we talked about this thing, this, this milestone that needed to be hit and what needed to happen. And we raced that painstakingly through. It forces some difficult conversations and, you know, again, like my job was really, I mean, I cannot, I, I would tell you, I mean, I've done this a couple of times in different companies too. At least three or four meetings, they would come to me and say, we really, really feel that this one thing we need to have more than, more than one person accountable. And I was just, I, nope, you can't, it has to be one, go back and figure it out. You're tiptoeing around something, you're dancing around something, you're, you're trying to not offend someone or you're trying to not have an uncomfortable conversation. You can't, the number one rule is you can't have more than one person accountable. And then the other thing is that I thought was really important when you're rolling something like this out is to your point, start and stop behaviors, right? So there's lots of examples of this, but you might say like, if this team is going to be more accountable for, you know, business outcomes or, you know, business metrics being met, then you are now responsible, you are accountable for making sure those executive briefings happen versus, you know, just being consulted or informed or whatever, whatever it might be. So the start-stop behaviors are are very, very important. And then the final thing I'll say is, you know, when I talk about, like, I don't think I've talked about this yet, but I'm also a big component of like OKRs and V2Mom, V2Mom being the methodology that Benioff pioneered at Salesforce, stands for vision, values, methods, obstacles, measures. I've actually been a bit of a contrarian on this and made sure that people that are accountable for different objectives within those methods are not all on the same Department, right? So, for example, one of our strategic pillars or methods is 
deliver a world-class customer experience. But it's not only the VP of customer success that is accountable for the various objectives under that pillar, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a, it's creating essentially a framework for ensuring that it's very clear, right? It, above all else. I mean, Racy's great at making uh, individuals very clear who owns what. And it's actually one of the challenges you mentioned is how do you get that? How do you find that one person? Right. And I, <laughs> I love that you said, go back. You're, you're afraid to have the difficult conversation or you're going to, you're going to annoy somebody or offend somebody driving that kind of focus becomes critical. And so you mentioned a bunch of different functions just for context for the audience. CRO is one of those titles that can mean a whole bunch of different things, depending on which organization you're in. So when we think about kind of what your organization looks like and how it plugs into the demand based structure as a whole, what, what areas of responsibility fall under you with that CRO title? So let's see. So we have starting, I'm kind of thinking from the journey from left to right. So we have SDRs, sales. So both net new logo hunters and what we call account directors, which are, you know, our account managers. And then customer success is a separate department there. We have a professional services team that incorporates demand-based university, which is both has, you know, both paid and free offerings. So that's kind of customer training, professional services, and then onboarding and implementation. And then on kind of the peripheral functions, we have sales productivity and sales operations. Okay. And so is that org structured hierarchically? Are you running in pods? How, just at a, just from, a, I'm trying to drive to the context so we can see how the North Star gets divvied across. Yeah, no, I, so it is functional, right? So I have, I have a VP of enterprise sales and a VP of mid-market sales that have both net new logo and growth, like a account director on their teams, VP of CS, VP of sales ops, et cetera, VP of ProServe. The one kind of dual executive that on my team is Jay, who is both our VP of SD, of sales development and productivity. Okay. But otherwise, we are functionally aligned. All right, functionally aligned. And so, when you think about this whole team, and and I and I love that you said I'm thinking about it from the journey, right? Because that's, that's really designing from the customer back is is a big. It's one of my soapbox issues as well. So, I'm b- big fan of that. Uh, but when you think about it, a lot of sales people, and and let's just start with like an SDR. SDRs typically, I'm not saying this is the case demand based. Typically, are less experienced, uh, maybe newer in their careers. Not not always. So they have a different understanding of what their touch to a customer, what kind of impact that may have or how it might change the way they view demand base or even that individual can be different than say a new logo hunter versus an account director. And so when we take it to that next level, you've got that framework with racing and all that stuff and you're pulling people accountable. How do you help them as individuals understand the impacts their behaviors and or actions may have in terms of that customer experience? Yeah, I mean, let me give you another example of one that I think is, even, I mean, that's a great, I mean, SDR is very often like the first person that they, that someone hears from, right? Uh-huh. And then like another example would be support. Like I, I think support, like how you experience, what, what your experience is when something goes wrong is so, so important, right? Think about how that makes you feel if like you feel like you've been taken care of or you feel like you've been screwed over or whatever it might be. So one exercise I haven't had a chance to do here yet, but I've done in the past and I'm, I'm going to with, with broader teams is I actually learned this from one of my mentors. Her name is Laura Desmond and she was former the former CEO of Starcom and she's now a consultant advisor to investors. She's just amazing. And she puts you through this exercise where one of the first things you do is go around the room and talk about a brand that you admire. And then you talk about why. 
you know, and it's so interesting. I've gone through this a billion times. I love hearing people's examples as to why they talk about certain brands. Like I often talk about Tesla as a brand that I enjoy. I am a Tesla owner. And one of the things I love about this Tesla the most is when things go wrong, how they make it so incredibly easy to fix them. Half the time they just come to my house. And I, you know, I click on something in my, in my app and it's just like, we'll be, we'll, we'll be there in three days, you know, like, whatever. And it's like, and the other, like one time I had an issue and, and to be fair on the flip side, I, I probably have a few more software issues than, you know, a normal car might have. And one day I had my car parked outside on the streets and the guy texted me, he'd come to fix something. And he's like, oh, I found your car. I can remote entry my way into it. I'll just fix it. And I never even got to leave my house. And my car was fixed. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> So that's like an exercise we talk about. And then the other one is talking about, you know, okay, let's talk about brands we admire and why that elicits certain responses and kind of gets you thinking. And then the other one would be like, talk, think about an example where you had to complain about something to a brand or, you know, a company and how you felt when you got through, when you got through with it and why. And when people start talking about that, you know, you really start to think about experiences. Like I talk a lot about, I think it was like an experience I had with Lyft, you know, back in the day when we were leaving our houses. <laughs> and I honestly don't even remember what happened, which is interesting, right? I don't remember why I was mad at Lyft. Something happened. I was mad at Lyft enough to send a note. And they, the way they responded was if my, you know, if my level of expectation was seven, I got like a 15 from them. I mean, I was just literally like blown away, away by their response. And from, from then on, I've had this very positive connotation with Lyft and that was not me dealing with their VP of BD or whatever. That was me dealing with a support person, right? And it has had a huge impact on my how I think about that brand. So that is a very long-winded way of saying I often encourage storytelling and thinking about people's own experiences and realizing what small details and small interactions that happen in our lives actually have great impacts on how we perceive the brands and the companies that we interact with in our lives. And and so I, you know, hope to kind of implant those experiences in people's heads and hope, hope that that drives their behavior. Yeah, I think it supports a, a beautiful example of that. I had a CEO back in the day who had bought a printer per, on the personal side, just a personal inkjet printer, like a decade earlier. I mean, ridiculous amount of time. Something had happened. I didn't, never dove into what. Something had happened on the support side of it. But when the corporation that we were working for was looking to replace all of the printers in the organization. His one statement was you can use any company except for this one. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a decade later. So that, I mean, it does have uh, lasting hurt. impacts. Yes. It, it, I mean, think about, you know, I'm going, I like many people have gone, done some kind of home improvement projects and there, whatever, I bought a certain appliance and it got installed and never worked. It still doesn't work. And when I've gone to this brand, which I shall not name, to say, hey, I got this professionally installed and it doesn't work. Their answer is, here's a list of people that are certified to fix our stuff in your area. And then I have to go and call them. And then nine times out of 10, they're like, I don't service Oakland or, you know, I don't go that far up the hill or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is, you are making it so, this is such a terrible experience. Like, and I just want to use your product. Like, geez Louise. So yeah, it's, Death by a thousand cuts, right? Absolutely. So when you when you think about we're in the new year, when you think about your targets for 2021 across all those areas of responsibility, you know, what are the like the biggest challenges that you're 
focused on as you go into the new year? I mean, the world got turned upside down last year. So some of them probably could be the same whether or not we're having a pandemic, but just curious to know as you start to guide and lead those teams through 2021, what are those targets you're aiming for? So when you look back at the end of the year, you go, hell yeah, this was a good year. So, I mean, outside of like our normal, so like, okay, so I will say like demand base is in a bit of a unique situation because as I referenced earlier, we launched a new product in November that we're very excited about and we think it's going to be just a total game changer for us. But we do have to go through the process of migrating all of our hundreds and hundreds of customers onto the new platform, which is not a flip of the switch, right? So we have to not only work on migrating the customers and then enabling those customers, but we're still selling that new logos. We have to enable all those customers and onboard those customers as well. On top of that, we have to enable our own teams, right? Like I have to get this entire field organization thinking and talking about something a little bit different. It's not like apples to oranges, but it's like maybe green apple to a, a half a dozen red apples or something. I'm sorry. I'm struggling with that analogy, <laughs> but they, you know, they have to change. And then, so those, those are some like unique things, like with demand base, it's like, okay, do we get all of our customers migrated on time? Are they, are, is the customer sentiment high? You know, are the clients happy with the new solution? Is the new solution stable? Is it driving the business results? We hope like, those are some kind of unique things to demand base. I would say less unique is, you know, like we, we are really trying to up-level our own account-based marketing or account-based experience game. We want to have incredibly high engaged clients. We want to have our customers advocating for us. So we're launching a lot of new programs this year around customer advocacy, customer referral, customer engagement, really focused on launching a voice of the customer program within Demandbase, which is a cross-functional initiative between customer success and product and sales and support are all heavily engaged on that one. And then ultimately, you know, the net net, like the the holy grail for us is to improve our retention, you know, improve our retention story by multiple points like that. That will be the ultimate measure of our success for this year. Love it. And so let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply as a CRO, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people (laughs) out there. And I'm always curious to know. When somebody doesn't have that trusted referral in, like somebody in your network that you trust says, hey, you should talk to this person. They don't have that. What works the best for you to capture your attention, build the credibility necessary to earn right to time on your calendar? That's super hard. And I, I have to say it's a, it's a tough market, but I, you know, it's interesting. Let me kind of flip that on you just a bit. Because one thing that drives me a little bonkers about the kind of the B2B selling industry, if you will, is how much is relied upon from executive to executive selling. And I don't want to live in a world where the only way my sales team or my customer success team or whoever can engage with executive sponsors on the customer side is because I'm talking to them, right? That's like, that's like the, the kind of standard playbook. Yep. But having been in those meetings and brought into those meetings by, you know, say my VP of sales ops or my VP of productivity, what stands out to me is when the account manager or seller on the, you know, the vendor side, if you will, partner side, can or cannot speak executive. I've, I've gone through a lot of training in the past called how to speak Excel, you know, yeah. and yep. this like concept of like executive speak Excel. We don't speak PowerPoint, right? I don't want to see pow- you know, beautiful use case slides. I want to see like what bottom line number or what top line number is it that you're going to contribute to and how and how will I know it's you that did it. You know what I mean? Like, that's really all I care about. 
And then the other thing I observe, and this is like, frankly, like this is kind of how I decide where to invest some time of mine into these other relationships is whether or not these account managers or sellers on the other side are doing this or not. The other one is respect my team. Like I know that as a CRO, if you're selling into the sales organization, I am the holy grail of the connection that you want to get to. I totally get that. But I've also been on calls like with the VP of sales productivity or sales ops, who is the decision maker. Like I trust their judgment. This is their job. And they kind of overly defer to me or kind of overly try to talk to me and almost circumvent my team. I'm just like, you're getting this wrong. (laughs) I support my team. Like you should be focusing on making my team look good and, you know, making sure that you're helping them look better and looking good in their job. Like, please respect them. And then the final thing is, you know, this is, this is like cookie cutter answer, but I think it's so true is know my business, right? Referencing recent launches or announcements, speculating what that might mean, asking me how I feel about something, you know, get me talking about what I think about all day long is a good way to get my attention as well. I love it. Thank you very much. I, and I could not agree with you more on the executive side of things. We spend a lot of time working with clients to get their teams to be able to speak executive. So when we, when we think about, okay, so now Let's pretend somebody got you and they and all they want from you, Allison, is one piece of advice. We call it our acceleration insight. All they want is the top nugget from you that they can absorb, assuming they actually do absorb it and listen to it, that you believe is a piece of advice that would help them hit or exceed their targets. What would it be or why? Oh, gosh. I have so much advice, Chad. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> you know... So I think, again, my, my answer might be, it kind of goes back to my initial, one of my earlier answers, and it's counterintuitive perhaps, because it's not a skill, it's a thing. And that is, I go back to the growth mindset and investing in yourself as a whole person. I, you know, like many of us, really devoured the, the Last Dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls, and I'm not a sports person really, but I loved the documentary. And one of the things that really stood out to me was Phil Jackson, the coach. And Michael Jordan's talking about Phil Jackson. And he's like, man, this coach was one of the first coaches that came and really cared about us, cared about us as whole people, right? We weren't only talking about, you know, how many hours we were logging at the gym or how many free throws we did. We were talking about Native American spirituality and burning sage and doing yoga or whatever it was doing, you know, kind of pushing them outside of their comfort zone. And you know, I almost, there's a similar analogy I'll make here to the importance of focusing on diversity, inclusion, and belonging at companies where, you know, that can come across as like a fluffy, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do type of thing. Growth mindset, diversity, neither are just the right thing to do. They do lead to better business outcomes because I think that if you're pushing yourself in all aspects of your life and you're, you know, you're taking care of yourself as the whole person, you're investing yourself in the whole person, all of you will grow. And you will become better in more than one way outside of your ability to sell. I love so. it. And and could not agree more. Allison, if a listener's interested in learning more about demand base or working or talking to you, where would you ideally like us to send them? I am, of course, on LinkedIn, like most people, but I'm also a big fan of Twitter and I am I can be found at simply at Allison Excellent. I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been amazing having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. All right, everybody, you know the drill. It does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, coworkers. Let your kids listen to it. Get them away from the screens for a little while. Till next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.